You're listening to another life-transforming message from Awakened Church with campuses in San Diego and Salt Lake City. To find out more about us, go to awakenedchurch.com. Sometimes we pray prayers that God can't answer because He's already done them. Oh, God, put your hand on my family. No, if you're a believer, God's hand is upon your family. I thank you, God, your hand is upon my family. Father, I thank you that I do not need to fear like the unbelievers fear. I thank you that I don't need to live in distress and despair over the shifting sands of what happens on planet Earth because your hand is upon me. The Bible says that Isaac prospered in a time of famine. Everyone around him was experiencing lack and loss and destruction, but not Isaac because he lived under a different atmosphere. Remind yourself today, you are not subject to the atmospheres that the enemy and wicked men who are used by the enemy try to tell you that you're to live under. Nope. You know what Joshua said? As for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. Now, I'm not going to get up in everybody else's grill about what they're doing in their house, but as for me and my house, this is what the atmosphere is going to look like. We are going to serve the Lord. Thank you for your people. Thank you for your hand upon them. Thank you for your blessing and your prosperity. And Father, I pray, reward them for their faithfulness. God, you said, my eyes go to and fro across the whole earth looking for one whose heart is loyal and faithful, so that I may show myself strong on their behalf. It's the word of the Lord to you today. God is going to show himself strong on your behalf. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Somebody give the Lord a hand of praise. Here's the next thing I want you to do, because this is what, this is, I want to shift your dish, maybe from oppression and sorrow and fear and intimidation to joy. So I want you to smile. It may feel like a creaky gate opening for the first time, but I want you to turn to the person next to you and flash those pearly whites your mother and father paid a lot of money for you to have, okay? We are happy. We are happy, joyful people because we serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And if God be for for us, then who or what can be against us? Amen. All right. Now, in keeping with our new series, I put a message together just for you guys. Hot off the press. This is fresh bread. I didn't pull out something from the freezer with freezer burn. I baked you fresh bread last night and I'm delivering it to the people that God loves this morning. So the title of my message, How to Be Happier, More Interesting and Have More People Like You. That's the title of the message today. I thought we'll just keep it, let's just make it super practical today because this is God's will for you. So I just got three points and um, we're gonna see what God does. All right, point number one, be happier. Okay, how do I do that? Set your internal thermostat to grateful. Here's what happens. When you set the thermostat of your soul to grateful, do you know what follows? Happiness. I have not ever met one ungrateful person that is happy 
and I have never met one grateful person that is unhappy. But we have a bit of a uh, issue and a blight and a plague, more dangerous than COVID-19. It's got higher than a 99% uh, uh, survival, uh, sorry, less than a 99% survival rate. And it's entitlement. It's entitlement. And the way that you deal with a spirit of entitlement is you set your, th- your internal thermostat, your soul temperature to, I'm going to be a grateful person. And I love King David because the Bible says in King David uh, that King David in Psalm 42 said this, why my soul, why my internal thermostat? Are you so disquieted or distressed within me? You will hope in God. You will praise Him. What is praise? Gratitude. You will bless the Lord. You will praise the Lord. You will be grateful. And then He said, the help of my countenance and my God. You want your countenance to change? Then you gotta set your internal thermostat to gratitude. I am grateful. I am a, and sometimes, you know what? It is an act of the will. And we're waiting for, for the environment around us to change. But God's like, no, just walk into every room and set the thermostat toward gratitude. And mums and dads, it starts with you. We got a whole bunch of ungrateful so-and-sos out there, little kids and teenagers. By crikey, as we say in Australia. It's a problem. Do you know what you can do to actually fix that disposition towards entitlement? Real little things and you'll toss them out if you think that you need to be deeper than you need to be. Very simple. First one, say grace at mealtimes. Give thanks. How many of you, and I don't want you to put your hand up and expose yourself, this isn't that kind of meeting. How many of you can ask yourselves, within yourselves, when you sit down at the, meal, at the family table for a meal, even if you're on your own, do you take the time to thank the Lord? We would have to eat far less organic food and stress about what we're putting in our mouths if we just said thanks and bless the food. Father, I thank You for this bounty. I thank You for this meal. I thank You for giving me the opportunity and the means to work, to have a job, to be able to provide for my family. I thank You. Let your kids do it too. Don't you hog all the graces. Don't you sit up there and and just say it all the time. Get your babies to say grace. Not only will it be interesting and very entertaining, What it does is it sets their thermostat. Everything good comes from God and they are trained to give thanks. Yep, yep. Even if I'm sitting in my car having a Chick-fil-A sandwich, which I do often, I'll, I'll open it up. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for this food. It almost feels like now in my life, not saying grace before a meal and thanking God would be like driving in a car without a seatbelt. Like it just doesn't feel right. Like I took a bite of that and I didn't thank the Lord for it. And you think it's insignificant, but it's not. Look at the plague we have on society and little kids being handed anything and everything and they look at it like, I didn't want that one. And every day is Christmas, so no day is Christmas. Oh, we've got to set our internal thermostat to gratitude. Do you know how else we do this? We work towards a reward. We don't just buy ourselves whatever we want, whenever we want. I, when I was a kid, now my parents, I, I was raised back in the era when people were, were savage, okay? 
And so, right, I'm seeing hands up over here. Good for you. Uh, we were told, now I am one of five girls. There was no boys in our family. We were all girls. And yet, there was a rule in our house. If you, uh, once you've graduated high school and you get a job, you've got a year to find a place to live and support yourself. 18. 18-year-old girls. I mean, that would be surmount to child abuse these days. <laughs> And then I got a job before I was legally allowed to get a job because my parents wouldn't, wouldn't let me ride on their coattails, Enrique. So at 14, I went to McDonald's and I lied about my age so I could get a job to work for $4.43 an hour. I would walk all, work all day just to be able to get enough to go to the movies and buy a bag of popcorn but I loved it. And I tell you what, I was grateful for everything I had because I had to work hard. And now we're giving our kids everything and we go to the supermarket and they see that very, very, very conveniently manipulative placed candy and they throw a fit and a tantrum and you say, no, no, no. And then you're, oh, all right. What are you training them? Complaining works, grumbling works, entitlement works, smack their little behinds. And that's another thing. I used to get spanked in public as a kid. Like, we're so nice about it these days. We probably should be. Look, I'm not saying we need to return to that level of savagery. I remember multiple times getting spanked in front of my friends. It was just, it was just the thing they did back then. Yeah. But, but I, had, I had a job as a 14-year-old working at McDonald's. There was a theme park in Australia called Australia's Wonderland. And it's now shut down because of COVID, wicked, wicked COVID. And I remember as a kid, like, I wanted so bad to go to Australia's Wonderland. But I knew my parents weren't gonna take me. Like, if I wanted to go, I was gonna have to save. And so I had my McDonald's job and I saved and I saved and I saved and I saved and I got the money together and my youth group was going and I'm telling you, I walked in through those gates of Australia's Wonderland. You could not wipe the smile off my face. I went on every ride, like I was literally almost crying because of the joy of the moment because I had worked so hard and here I was enjoying the fruits of my labor and yet I'm, I was surrounded by little brat children complaining the whole time with, with lollipops bigger than their heads and, and they didn't appreciate it because they didn't earn it. They, they, and these parents that give their kids everything without making them work for anything end up being unhappy children because they haven't set their internal thermostats to gratefulness, but to ungratefulness. Man, I had the time of my life. I got there at opening time. I did not leave until closing time. They had to chase me out of Australia's Wonderland. And when I left, I had all the paraphernalia. I had the big old hat and the ping pong. I was like Lloyd Christmas from Dumb and Dumber. Oh man. Nobody could take the joy of that moment away because I worked for it. Oh, you're preaching to us so elementary. Yes, elementary, dear Watson, it's always simple. When we don't do the simple things well, life becomes complicated. If you wanna be happy, you gotta set your internal thermostat to grateful. I'm seeing a lot of teenagers that don't have jobs wearing Gucci belts, I'm just saying. I keep it real. I'm like, unless you work real hard for that, 
or someone gave it to you that probably shouldn't have given it to you. You got no business wearing a Gucci belt when you don't have a job. Ecclesiastes 2.24 says this. So I decided, this is Solomon, this is the wisest and wealthiest man on the face of the earth. This is what he said. So I decided there is nothing better than to enjoy food and drink and to find satisfaction in work. Then I realized that these pleasures are from the hand of God. The Bible tells us time and time and again, if a man does not work, he shall not eat. And yet we've revealed, I deserve it. You should give it. The government needs to stop that. Stop that. You have the hand of God on your life, but at the same time, God wants to, to ask you the question, what can you deliver and do with your own hand? I've made you capable and able. Don't have that spoiled, ungrateful attitude. It is like a cancer in this nation. And can I take it one step further? It really bothers me when people complain about America. I say that as an immigrant. I say that as someone who has lived in two different nations. I say that as, as someone whose husband's father lived in communist East Germany and had to escape by running through a minefield to get to the freedom on the West. There are people in so many parts of this planet that would love to have your worst day living in America. When, when Jürgen and I were naturalized two years ago, I told this story at Cherish this week, we stood, stood in a room downtown San Diego, surrounded, surrounded by thousands of other people. We were the only two Australians surrounded by other people. Do you know where the majority of the people who were being naturalized came from? Places like Iran, Iraq, all parts of persecuted Asia, the Middle East and other places where there are tyrannical regimes. And here they stood in a room pledging allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the Republic for which it stood one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. And they had tears streaming down their face. Tears streaming, because this was a dream, this was a dream. Do you know how many children around the world dream about coming to America? I was one of them. I used to watch Looney Tunes and Porky Pig and Mr. Ed and all the shows. And everyone, you talk to any Australian kid, you talk to any kid from another part of the world, they would just go, I wonder what it would be like to live in America. I wonder, one day, the dying wish of every little kid that has cancer is I wanna go to Disneyland. The number one wish from around the world of kids who are dying of cancer, if we can give you one wish, the Make-A-Wish Foundation, the number one thing, I wanna go to Disneyland. Do we appreciate what we have? Are we grateful? If you're gonna complain about this nation, don't do it around me. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> All right. We're number two, be more interesting. All right. How do we do that? Endure hardship. You think about the best stories you've ever heard in your life. They're always about some terrible trial, tribulation, tragedy that somehow ends in some level of triumph. 
And yet we do everything in our power to run away and escape adversity. And look, I understand it. But here's one of the things that is the, I guess, the symptom of being alive on planet Earth. Hardship. Difficult times. We'll all have them. We'll all have them. But yet we've been raising a generation who, who we've been saying, we want you to avoid every level of hardship. And so we go before them, and there's a new term called the snowplow parent, where, where we go before our kid and we push away every obstacle. We think we're helping them, but we're not helping them. So they never, ever have to experience a bad day. You're never, ever gonna have to experience rejection or embarrassment. You're never, ever gonna have to, to experience any level of failure because we'll do your assignments for you making sure you get A's all across the board. The kid doesn't even know his alphabet, but he managed to <laughs> put together this assignment that you know dazzles everybody. And so we push every obstacle out of their way, making sure they never have to experience hardship. And then they go out into the real world and they fall apart and they're emotional wrecks because they've never been taught that sometimes life in life, you're gonna have a bad day. And if they can't have a bad day in your house, heaven help them when they get out into the world. And, and I, wonder, I wonder if this is the reason that we've had the uptick in depression and anxiety and addiction because we taught our kids that life should always be perfect and it's not. It's just not. Here's what the Bible says. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. It doesn't say many are the afflictions of the wicked and ungodly. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but if, you're if you endure some hardship, the Lord your God will deliver you out of them all. You're gonna come through with a testimony and a testimony will make you interesting. The most interesting people you know are the ones who have stood in the fiery furnace, who have been thrown in the lion's den and live to tell about it. They're survivors. I'm not doomsday prepping you. I'm not saying I want you to, to hope and pray for adversity, but I'm saying to you, when you find it, you're gonna come through and God is gonna give you a relevant testimony that is gonna make you the most interesting person in the room. The greatest stories in the Bible, stories of hardship. <laughs> Second Corinthians 4, 8, we are troubled on every side, but not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, cast down, but not destroyed. Mm. I'm telling you, you are stronger than the world has told you that you are. There is strength on the inside of you. Every human that opens themselves up to the Spirit of God is a strong person. Can you endure some hardship? Again, let me talk about parenting. Again, savage parenting as a kid, but it made me the woman that I am today. So a couple of instances. Uh, the first one, when I got my job at McDonald's and I was raised in a loving home, uh, my parents loved me. They took me to church. I had a decent self-esteem. I was 14 or 15 working at McDonald's and my manager uh, said very, something very unkind to me, something inappropriate. And I decided, I am woman, hear me roar. You will not talk to me this way. Now granted, the managers back then were like 20, okay? So it was kind of like the blind leading the blind. He's 20, I'm 14, he's a manager. He said something to me very inappropriate. And I was like, like I said, I am woman, hear me roar. He can't talk to me this way. This is not acceptable, I'm leaving. 
And so I didn't clock out. I went halfway through my shift. I went in, I grabbed my bag, and I walked home in my McDonald's uniform. And I walk in through the front door, and there's my mum standing at the, the stove with a wooden spoon, stirring the soup. She's like, I thought your shift didn't end for a couple of hours. I said, well, I left. You will never believe what manager Rob Shakatano said to me. <laughs> la, 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 la. She's like, Leanne Edith, what are you doing? You do not just walk out on your job. He will not be the last jerky boss that you experience. You've got to be tougher, you've got to be stronger. She popped me in the car and she drove me back and made me apologise. I had to do the walk of shame. And I think the manager, Rob Shakatano, was so shocked that he's like, oh yeah, she could have a job back. But it's, some of us are rescuing our children from situations where where, where God is wanting us to train them in, resource them in, strengthen them in. Bible doesn't say rescue your children. It says raise up your children, train your children up in the way they should go. And some of us are rescuing them from some of the most perfect life lessons and we're not setting them up for a good future. You are gonna have bosses that are jerks. People are gonna say things that are unkind you will experience moments of unfairness and injustice. I remember another time, I was a really little girl, maybe 10, and uh, I had a cabbage patch kid. Well, actually I had a carrot patch kid because my parents wouldn't pay the extra $20 to get me the, the cabbage patch kid, <laughs> a carrot patch. And so I signed my own name on the butt because the real cabbage patch had the authentication of the signature on the butt, so I signed my cabbage patch, carrot patch kids butt with my own signature. And I did a little bit of babysitting and that was back in the day when you let 12 year olds watch your newborn child. <laughs> so I used to babysit for the neighbour and got like a dollar an hour and a candy bar. And I saved, oh gosh, I think it was maybe seven or eight dollars, which was a lot back then. And our school had what's called a fate or a fair. And they had rides and all that yummy food and people would put all their wares, sell their, their homemade crafts. And I knew that they were gonna be selling homemade Cabbage Patch Kid clothes. And I was so excited to get my little Cabbage Patch Kid a new outfit, Carrot Patch. And I walked in with my eight bucks and I, I got the outfit. I was so, 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 so pumped and uh, bought it, held it, put it in a little bag, tucked it under my arm and went off and played with my friends and had a blast. Anyway, we were about to leave and I realised that the outfit had fallen out from, I had no idea and I traced, retraced my steps and I told my mum and she helped me look for it. We could not find it. I remember being so, like crying, crying. Oh my gosh, I saved all that money. You know what my mum didn't do? She didn't buy me another one. Oh, that wicked, wicked woman. And I remember walking out crying and she had her arm around me. There, there, darling. There, there. It'll be all right. It'll be all right. She didn't fix it. Oh, I taught a lesson. Take better care of your stuff, girl. But not only that, it taught me about loss and hardship. And that not 
every injustice or wrong may be righted in the way that you want it to be, but life still goes on. Yeah. Some good lessons for our kiddos. 2 Timothy 2.3 says, You therefore, speaking about us, must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Hardship, trial, tribulation won't take you out unless you let it. You are made of stronger stuff. And listen, when I even think about the the whole, uh, one of the arguments around abortion that I heard. Well, you know, it's actually more humane to terminate the life of a child or a human because there's a chance that they could potentially suffer if they're born. So I'm going to terminate a pregnancy because of the chance that this child could be born into a world where they're not maybe wanted by their parents or loved, or the situation isn't perfect or the environment isn't just so. Who gave you that right? Do do you really think that the potential for suffering is enough of a reason to disqualify a person from living their life? Some of the greatest stories, the greatest champions of our generation are born out of environments of suffering. In fact, the four orphanages that we assumed in Mexico were all founded, built and financed by a man who was an orphan himself. Jerry McTaggart lost both his parents, was raised in an orphanage. Now today they would argue that this man should have been aborted before he was able to be born and yet, because you were made for hard things. You can, you can stand some adversity and some hardship. This man is still alive and living today and not only did he survive, he thrived and he's making it so. Other young boys and other young girls, one of those orphanages is for children with special needs and now given an opportunity to live life themselves. Will they experience suffering? Probably. Will they have hard days? Undoubtedly. But a hard day can never take out someone who has the Spirit of God living on the inside of them. We are pressed down, but we are not destroyed. Cast down, but not destroyed, because the Spirit of the living God is in you and you can overcome hardship and it will make you interesting. Some of my best stories, I'm telling you, back in that day, we were savage. They were savage parenting. We knew what kids wet their bed on the way to school because their parents would put their mattress out the front and it would be sunning on the front porch. So you'd be walking to school, you'd be like, Johnny wet his bed, Susie wet her bed, Shelly, what were you up to? I was like some kind of public shaming. I tell you what, look, I'm not saying we bring that back, but I tell you what, it it, it made them go to the bathroom before they went to bed. They didn't drink so much anymore. Oh, I better, that public shaming certainly has me flying straight. It's a different era. But we're raising different kids. Throwing a tantrum in the streets. Knocking out a Starbucks window, screaming in the face of authority. Probably just needed to be spanked a little bit more when they were kids. 
And look, I get letters sometimes about that. So I just want to qualify. If you have a child that does have a special need, I'm not saying every kid needs a spanking. I'm not saying that. But I am saying there are a lot that need them that aren't getting them. So you, you make the distinction and use the wisdom of the Lord there. All right, finally, and the music's up. Be likeable. How do we be likeable? Well, we take responsibility for ourselves. The most unlikable, unpopular people on the, on the planet are people who complain about how it's everybody else's fault that their life sucks. I, I cannot think of a person that I would loathe spending time with more than someone like that. True for me, true for the Lord. Look at this, Matthew 25, 24. Then the man who had received one bag of gold, not a lot, just one bag, but he still had something. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and I went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy, unlikable servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags, ouch. For whoever has will be given more and they will have it in abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them and throw that worthless, unlikable servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You were hard, you were unfair, you were unjust. Do you see the pattern here? You, you, the reason my life is unpleasant and the reason that I'm not prospering is you, you, you. Here's the thing. You can't actually change the world. You can't change other people's behaviour. All you can change is yourself. And we have a generation right now that are standing in the streets demanding change, demanding the world shift, but they're not turning any of that focus internally. Their cry for justice is a pointed finger at everyone except themselves. And it's so unbiblical and it's so wrong. Do you remember what Jesus said? He said this, why would you focus on the flaw in someone else's life and yet fail to notice the glaring flaws of your own? How can you say to your friend, let me show you where you're wrong when you're guilty of even more? You're being hypercritical and a hypocrite. First acknowledge your own blind spots and deal with them. And then you'll be capable of dealing with the blind spot of your friend. Instead of judging the world for being evil and unfair, ask yourself this, and I want us to take a moment. I want you to close your eyes and take a moment. What one thing could I do differently? Not what does everybody else need to change in the pastor and the president and the governor and the teacher and my boss, what one thing right now could you change? 
could you do differently to make your life better? Have a dialogue with the Holy Spirit, just ask Him. He says, if you seek me, you'll find me. He's always speaking, but we're not always listening. And so often we're obsessed with everybody else's flaws. We fail to see our own. He's like, I actually don't care what Billy and Johnny are doing or have done, but I do care about what you're doing. So will you let that spotlight come off everybody else and let me shine it on you? What one thing have you taken advantage of the opportunities offered to you? Are you lazy? Do you procrastinate? Procrastinate? Do you always show up late? Do you spend money you don't have? Do you complain? Are you always looking for other people to do for you what you should be doing for yourself? We can't change other people, but we can change ourselves. The Bible says in Romans 14, 12, so then each of us will give an account concerning himself to God. What does that mean? When you stand before the Lord on Judgment Day, and I think it's important every now and then to think about Judgment Day. This life is gonna end. The Bible says this life is but a vapour. And so many of us have lost our eternal mindset. But one day we're gonna stand before God and all your best excuses about what everybody else didn't do for you are not gonna cut it. Each of us will stand before God and give an account for our own lives. Did you forgive? Did you let go when I told you to let go? When I handed you that opportunity, did you take it? Did you see it as a portal from God to bring blessing into your family? Or were you resentful? Were you bitter? Just lift your hands to the Lord. Father, God, I know this is a tight word, but it's a right word because you desire a shift. And these are words delivered from the womb of love. Because those the Lord loves, He brings correction to. Maybe in your life, you're unhappy, you're uninteresting and you're unlikable simply because you've fallen trapped to these divisive and wicked spirits that are out to steal, kill and destroy. God has so much more for you and the people that come after you, your children, set a great example, leave a great legacy. And these are little simple things that we can all do. Father, I thank you that your hand is upon them and that you are opening doors that no man can shut and you are shutting doors that no man can open. Father, let us find a moment with you this week where we can be like King David. Oh God, search me, know me, test my every fearful thought and see that there be no wicked way within me and lead me in the way everlasting. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Somebody give God a huge shout of praise. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our locations, team, and what we do here at Awakened Church, go to awakenedchurch.com.